we're looking at the Mount of Transfiguration. And before we begin, we, got, we need to just step back and revisit a little bit of what Leslie went over last week for context. I think it's important. You'll remember that Jesus asked the people, the disciples, plural again, who, who do people say that I am? And some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. And then he says, no, you, Peter, you know, who, who do you say that I am? Now it's specific. Who do you? Not who do they, who do you say? Well, you, uh, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter has this great confession, and uh, he says, you are the Christ. In, in Matthew chapter 16, we get a little bit more detail because Mark, he's just very concise. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know as we're looking through scriptures, according to John chapter 20, verse 31, that but these things are written so that you may believe and that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life. So the question is, who do you say that I am? That's the question. And um, Peter has this incredible response. And then it's followed in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, by this, this disclosure, this conversation where Jesus tells them something that they just can't get over. Jesus tells them that he's going to have to uh, suffer, that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to be killed, that he's going to be raised on the third day. And, and so Peter, check this out, Peter rebukes Jesus. What? Yeah, Peter rebukes Jesus. And then a couple of verses later, no, no, no. Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter did not understand that the suffering had to come before the glory, the humiliation before the exaltation, the cross before the kingdom. So the way to the kingdom is through the cross, and this is not part of Peter's theology. And so Peter is disappointed. Peter is confused. And up until this point, by faith, yeah, there's this great declaration. You are, you are the son of God. But apart from the miracles, it hasn't been something physical, tangible. And you'll see what I mean as we go through. I think what I'm saying is that the curtain of heaven is going to be peeled back in our verses this morning, and we're going to get a little glimpse of what I believe is the greatest miracle prior to the resurrection. So reading Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And they appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared. And covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Jesus takes three disciples, Peter, James, and John, all Jewish men, up this mountain. And these men knew the Old Testament, they knew the, the writings. They understood that in the Old Testament, every time that God appeared to them, it was in the form of a 
cloud. It was in the form of light. It was in the form of fire. It was the Shekinah glory, God's presence with them. In Exodus 24, we read that Moses goes up on a mountain and there's a cloud that covers it and the glory of the Lord settles it. And it says to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of a mountain. In Exodus chapter 40, when the Lord told Moses to set up the tabernacle, we read in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't show you my face. You won't be able to live. And so I'll show you my back. So God puts Moses on a rock, and as he passes by, he just gets to see the back. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when the first temple was completed, we read, and the priests filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then again in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, when the first offering was made in the temple, when Solomon finished praying, it says, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Okay, so this is important because in each of these instances, God's appearance reminded the people that he was there that he was present, that he was God. And knowing that God was with them brings peace. It brings comfort. It brings encouragement. And so in Mark chapter 9, we now have visible mm, evidence. I was going to use the word tangible, but I don't think I can use that word. With physical evidence that Jesus is God. This morning in Hebrews chapter 1, we read the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so Peter, John, and James are now going to see the radiance of God's glory. And so let's begin, if you're taking notes, with one, the sun's transformation. We just read in verse 2 that after six days, Peter, James, and John go with him up to a high mountain. They're all alone, and it says, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. That's a bad dry cleaner's experience, let me tell you. The, the, the word transfigured is derived from the Greek word metamorphosis, and it implies a change of body. And so uh, for the movie buffs out there, it's like Clark Kent to Superman, or uh, Bruce Banner to the Hulk, uh, or something a little bit more biological, you know, a caterpillar to a butterfly. But, but we read that his clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. In Luke chapter 9, verse 29, it's a parallel account, and you can also read it in Matthew 17. We read, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his close clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Again, Luke gives a little bit more color uh, on, on this event. He writes, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. I imagine what your reaction would be <laughs> if you and two of your friends are with Jesus all alone on the top of this mountain. And all of a sudden, there's this incredible transformation. 
and his face is just shining brighter than the noonday sun. I mean, there's no sleight of hand, there's, uh, there's no mirrors. This was not an illusion. This is a complete transformation. For those of you who saw game six between the Montreal Canadiens and, and the Golden Knights, during the second intermission, there was a whole bunch, of, there was a crowd of people gathered downtown in front of the Bell Center, in front of the Madisons. And, and all I remember seeing was this gentleman with this big gun. And in the middle of the crowd, he's, he's shooting out firecrackers, right? Like these big bursts of light. Imagine, imagine you're there with Jesus and his face is now shining like the sun. I mean, I mean, we read this and we go, okay, that's cool. And we continue going now, but I'm not sure what my, 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 my reaction would be if, if that really happened. I mean, it's a complete transformation. It's mind-blowing. And, and what's important, we need to note that God's glory, the Lord's glory, it's not being reflected. It's radiating from within. It's allowing all of his glory, all of his Shekinah glory, all of his greatness, all of his worth to shine forth. For, for, for the scholars out there, Philippians chapter 2 uh, we read about how Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now on the Mount of Transfiguration, he is lifting his veil of humanity and showing us that he is indeed God. I mean, this was not a vision. This was not an hallucination. This was not a dream, all right? They were standing there and they saw Jesus transformed into light. <laughs> His clothes are dazzling white. They're, they're gleaming. Mark said you can't bleach them. They're whiter than white. Jesus' glory is revealed in the moment in a flash of lightning. Now, what were, oh, look, the, the, the majestic presence of God, it descends and, and it dwells among men. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 reads, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's the first, one, the first point. We have the son's transformation. The second point is we have the saint's association. We read in verse 4 of Mark chapter Nine, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Uh, they are there now in visible form and they're having a conversation. What, what are they talking about? Well, Luke chapter 9 verse 31 gives us that answer. It says, they spoke about his departure which was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. So what are they talking about? They're, they're talking about his death. They're talking about the trials of the cross. Interesting, they're not talking about God establishing his kingdom right then and there. They're not talking about Jesus overthrowing the Romans. They're not talking about empowering his servants and who's going to be on his left and who's going to be on his right and, who's going to, and how's it going to happen. No, they're, they're, they're talking about his death. This was part of the plan. And in this conversation, you've got Moses and Elijah 
They're there to affirm the plan. We have, where two or more witnesses are gathered, we, ha we have two witnesses here. Why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, Moses, he delivered the Israelites from slavery. He performed miracles by God's mighty hand in Egypt. He served God like a priest. He, uh, he was a servant. He took down the Ten Commandments. He, he, that, was the, that was the law. What, what about Elijah? Well, he was a great prophet, right? He reminded the people to keep God's commandments. Uh, he fought the nations. He also performed miracles, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, right? And, and what was really, I, I think, really interesting about Elijah's life is he, he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, right? He escaped death altogether. Now, so these two men are Old Testament heroes. Luke 24, verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so these men are talking about Jesus' death and his, perhaps his coming glory. That was the second point. The third point, we have a sleeper's suggestion. I'm actually going to read this from Luke chapter 9, verse 30, and I'll, and I'll read it out loud because I like it a little bit better. It says, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. I'll pause because I hear people turning pages. Luke chapter 9, verses 30, 31, and 32. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. Why are they sleeping? They, they slept in Gethsemane. They're sleeping again. I believe because the information that's been provided to them is just overwhelming. I, I don't know if you've ever been overwhelmed or scared. I, I know I, I fly a lot. I'm not scared to fly, but I remember one time there was just so much turbulence. I just put myself to sleep in the middle of that. How can you sleep in that? That was my default. I slept. I believe here they are, these disciples. They've just heard about the suffering. They've heard about this the, the, the impending death, the suffering, they don't understand it. They're, they're sleeping. Mark chapter 9, verse 5. What does Peter do? Right? He's half asleep. He's waking up. He sees all this. He's got a suggestion. Peter says to Jesus, again, Mark chapter 9, verse 5, Rabbi, otherwise in other places he's masters. In other places he sees teacher. He's just trying to figure it all out, right? Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> Verse 6, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> I love that. Luke tells us that Peter did not know what to say uh, because he was frightened. Um, I have an idea. When you're scared and you don't know what to say, say nothing. <laughs> right? Um, Interesting, at, at this time, so when this event was happening, recording, uh, recorded in Scripture, at this particular time, they were actually celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles, all right? Uh, that is a time to uh, celebrate God's, God leading the Israelites' um, exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land, right? That, that's what they did. They, they remembered the exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land, and yet Peter is still refusing. He's uh, refusing to subject himself to the possibility that Jesus would be rejected, that Jesus would have to suffer, that Jesus 
would have to die. So he comes up with this idea and he says, okay, let's build three tabernacles. Let's just bypass the cross. Let's forget about the rejection. Let's forget about the suffering. No cross required. Establish your kingdom immediately. Let's have our exodus right now. Okay, let's get up. Let's get this over with. No more Roman rule. Uh, let's just set up the kingdom. We're ready, right? I mean, he, he knew his history. He, he, he knew his Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures. Peter, the cross is part of the plan. It's not an interruption. It does not negate God's glory. It is not a mistake. Peter, at least he said, if you wish. And it was a suggestion. At least he didn't say, hey, let's, let's have a fourth tent for me. That was a, a sweeper's suggestion. And four, let's go with the sovereign's correction. Verse 7 of Mark chapter 9. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice called from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. I love this. I've, I, I can picture it in my mind, you know, this cloud comes. Remember, Old Testament, cloud, fire, light. Here we have this cloud comes, it overshadows them, it engulfs them, it swallows them up. If you want Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, uh, God's presence is there. It has it, it it appeared. And the men enter the cloud. Wow. <laughs> and then the voice says, listen to him. This is my son, my chosen one. In Mark chapter 8, <laughs> Peter was rebuked by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Now he's getting, in a sense, rebuked by God. Listen to him. <laughs> this is my son, my chosen one. Peter Listen to what Jesus has to say about his death, but also about his resurrection. You see, the point of the transfiguration is that glory follows the cross. In Matthew 17, the parallel account, it says that the men fell on the ground. Frightened, reverence, on the ground. What happens? Cloud disappears. Moses disappears. Elijah disappears. It's just Jesus when they look up. And what happens? What a compassionate Savior we have. Matthew 17, 17 says, they come up, Jesus comes to them, and he touches them. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus is now on the road to the cross. He's headed to Jerusalem. And guess what? The disciples are ready to follow. Application time. Three quick points. The first one, as I thought about this, as we follow Jesus, he is going to help us prepare for the next situation. I mean, the disciples in this account were unable to grasp, to quantify, to qualify what was happening. But Jesus was, again, unveiling his humanity, he was peeling back the curtains of heaven. He was giving them a glimpse of what was to come, saying, you guys, you're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. And there's anxiety, there's despair, perhaps there's anger, there's frustration. 
everything was in preparation for what was coming. And so point number one, Jesus is there as we are followers of Jesus. He is preparing us for tomorrow. Every day, every day today is for tomorrow. And there's, there's, a great, there's a great truth in knowing that he is with us. Second point, I think, is we need to listen to him. Two ears, one mouth, I should listen more than I speak, but I like to hear myself speak. I like to hear what I have to say. I like talking to myself. Sometimes I even answer my own questions. It's fantastic. Um, I have a tendency, I notice, also to say, listen. I, I've done it up here when, when, when I'm sharing, but I also do it when I'm with clients on the phone. I'll say, listen, and, and Nancy being home with me, she'll, you're saying it again, listen. I jokingly said a couple of weeks ago that on my tombstone, I love it, Stephen McCarg, listen, like, just listen. Um, Listen to God. Be still, and know am I. be still and know I am God. Just take time to meditate, to be prayerful, to spend time in his word. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that we can listen to. I'm looking at the clock. I don't want to get off on a tangent. But, you know, Facebook gets paid for, for data and artificial intelligence. And everybody has something they want to tell you. And there's a lot of voices out there. But this is the truth, and we need to listen to this. And the, the third point, and this is the, the, the key takeaway, this world is not our, own, our home. Uh, life is challenging. There's obstacles. It's a fallen world. It's full of sin. I mean, I had the privilege of being at game six to see the Habs play the Golden Knights. I saw them win. Um, and it, it was, I'm going to use the word glorious, different context. Maybe I shouldn't. But it was amazing. It was really good, the game. And then we had to stay 30 minutes because there were riots. And then I went outside and there were police lines with shields and batons. And I got stuck between the police and the rioters. And I got tear gassed. And um, I was able to run, burn, burns the eyes, burns the throat. It killed. But you know what? There was a son with his two boys. And they were stuck in this. And there was another man. And he was on the ground because it was way too much. And it smelt of weed. And people were drunk and hanging out of windows. And I was scared. And I did not enjoy it. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, I was, I was thinking of Black Lives Matter and all the protests and all that stuff that we saw. And just the reality is it is a broken and fallen world with a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of disease, a lot of death, a lot of COVID, a lot of mental illness, whatever it is. But folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, this world is not our final home. In scripture over here, there's over 300 prophecies in the, Old, in the Old Testament of Jesus' first coming. I'll say that again. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus' coming. There's 1,500 prophecies of Jesus' second coming. There are over 319 verses in the New Testament alone about his second coming. What that means is that one out of every 25 verses speaks about Jesus' second coming that means Jesus is coming back in a powerful and glorious way. And that's what we have to look forward to. My brother, Denis, at the end of the Family Bible Hour said what he loves most when we think about the cross, when we think about Jesus shedding his blood after he gave his life. Denis says to me, the veil was torn and the gateway to heaven was blown wide open. Jesus is coming back. Oh, glorious day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this life every day is a preparation for the next. Help us to listen to you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to obey what you call us to do. And Father God, help us not to forget that you are coming back. It is going to be a glorious day. 
thank you that, Jesus, you are an exact representation of the Father. Everything you say and you do points us to the Father. Help us to be mindful that one day Jesus is coming back and this world will indeed be your kingdom and that you will wipe away every tear. In your name we pray. Amen.